Good morning. He says from way back there. Uh, good morning. Uh, Y'all can have a seat. A uh, couple of quick announcements. Today is Potluck Sunday, which is awesome. It's also Family Style Sunday, uh, which is also awesome. Uh, if you didn't happen to bring anything for the potluck, please please stay. There's, I've never, ever, ever in my whole life been to a potluck where there's not enough food. And if for some miraculous reason, miraculous reason, if there wasn't enough food, we'd figure something out. So please stay, uh, even if you didn't know we had a potluck today. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, I will read our scripture for the day, and we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have taken away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. Please pray with me. Uh, King Jesus, as we approach your word today, I pray that you would uh, enlighten us, you would illumine us to the truth of your scripture. You would help us to see who you are. You would help us to worship you well. Uh, I pray, Lord Jesus, God, that you would help us to, to live in the joy and of the freedom of your grace and mercy, that you would uh, help us uh, to, to live in the freedom of obedience to you and who you are, uh, and that, Jesus, that we would uh, live by the power of your spirit to, to glorify your Father uh, in your name, Jesus. Lord God, we love you and we pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so right now we're working through a series we're calling um, God's Words, Our Book. And our intent has been to work our way through every book of the New Testament uh, to try and be able from the, the, our time together to know not just sort of what Paul's saying in a particular verse or paragraph, but say, this is what Galatians is about, or this is what Matthew is about, or this is uh, what First uh, and Second Corinthians is about. And we're doing that because we live as a church with a distinct conviction that God has communicated to us through His Word. Uh, that as Christians, this is our book, and that when we want to hear from God, we can actually open God's Word and listen. We can open it and read. We can hear the voice of God in His Word. And, and that the Bible is not just what God has said to some people somewhere in the past, but what God is saying to us now who love His Son, Jesus Christ. And my hope is that we would be a church who would just know our Bibles, who would be able to, to dig in and read it and study it for ourselves, and to carry the good news of Jesus to, to our city, which needs Him so desperately. Uh, so to that end, we're in Galatians today. Uh, and Galatians is one of my favorite books. It is an amazing and powerful book. Um, and, and I think it gets to the heart of so much of the challenge of the Christian life. And, and so much of what Galatians is really trying to answer is the question, what is it? What does it mean to be faithful to God? What does it live, mean to live a life that is faithful uh, to God? Uh, and this is important because we live in a time and a place where I think we're actually a little bit confused as the church about what it actually means to live a life faithful to God. And Paul's living in a time and a place where people are confused about it. Uh, they are dealing with, in this church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, this group of people we'll call Judaizers. And what the Judaizers are doing is they're saying there's this Old Testament law and rules and regulations, and those must be followed by everybody. And really what they're doing is they're taking things outside the parameters of what Jesus has set forth and trying to say, this is what it must, you must do these things so that God will love you. 
Now, this is really important for us. And in, in, in some respects, I feel like it's sort of been the, one of the projects of my life to get down to the question that if we believe that Jesus has done everything, what do we do with the rest of our lives? If we believe that we can say, if you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he will forgive you for all your sins and there's nothing you can do to earn the love of God, that Jesus came and lived the life you were supposed to live. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead and his grace is free and his grace is sufficient and receive the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, not by your works, by his love. I'm in. That is the gospel. So then what do I do with the rest of my life as a Christian once I'm in? If, if we believe we've been saved by Jesus and this is the gospel and that I cannot earn the love of God and we just emphasize that so heavily. You cannot earn God's love. God extends His love to us through His Son and through His cross. And this is the good news. This is why we celebrate Easter. This is why Easter is a big deal for us. Next week we'll, we'll come and we'll celebrate the fact that He came and He lived and He died and He rose from the dead. It's a big deal. But then what do we do with the rest of our Life. Now, Paul is dealing with these people where they're trying to impose a system on people and say, you must do these things so that God will love you. And here we go. We're in Galatians. We'll start in chapter 5. And as we approach these books, we kind of move around the book a little bit because the family style service. We'll just do a couple of verses, but I think we will get uh, at the bottom of what we're looking at. We're looking at Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to get up and get one. Um, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Uh, just like in the Greek, the, we have these two words, a, a, a noun and a verb. Uh, a noun is the thing, person, place, or thing. The verb is the action. He uses the same one. It's a little redundant. For freedom, you've been set free. So why have we been set free? Freedom. What does that even mean? This, this word, uh, in its original context, has a lot of meaning, in fact. Uh, in classical Greek, uh, it really means like self-determination. Freedom is the ability for you to make your own choices in life and to do your own thing. That is what freedom is. That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? That's what freedom is. Um, uh, to the Stoic, freedom, they were kind of hyper-spiritual, old-timey Greek dudes, Stoics. Uh, to the Stoic, this word really meant uh, that we would be liberated in kind of a spiritual sense from inward reflection and from inward processes. We could liberate our own spirits to be free spirits. Also sounds mighty familiar. Uh, New Agey, American sort of hyper-spirituality. Now for the Jews, this meant political freedom. The Romans have invaded, they've taken over uh, Judea, Jerusalem, Galilee, all these places are controlled by Rome. Everything's controlled by Rome. And before that, it was controlled by Herod, and it was controlled by the Greeks, and there's been all this conflict and all this misery and all these things, and they just want to be free. They, they just want to be able to live lives in peace and actually live in the promises that God have made, has made to liberate people from these captives. But in the Bible... In the New Testament, pardon me. In the New Testament, this idea of freedom, it means so much more. It means that you and I are free, freed by Jesus to live in the freedom that he's purchased for us. Freedom from spiritual push-ups and doing things to earn God's love and freedom from sin. 
freedom, freedom from a life lived and plagued by the things that control us, the desires that are different than the, 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 the desires of God. We're, we're free from, from licentiousness and wiling out. We're, we're free from just open rebellion. But we're also free from, from this sense of doing things so God will love us. We're free from the sense of doing right things so that, that, that we can pat ourselves on the back, so that we can be justified in our own eyes, so that we can do things so that we can feel good about ourselves. We're free from finding our identity in the things that we do on any level or in any way or being trapped by the things that trap us. It's freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The freedom of forgiven people. And he's given us this freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now here's the challenge. This is my challenge. I think it's your challenge, maybe. It's my challenge. I won't impose it on you, but perhaps. I know the truth of Jesus Christ. I know that God loves me and he sent his son to die for me and that he's made me right with him. And yet, so quickly, we justify ourselves by the things we do or the things people think about us or what we can do to say that we count in the world and find our identity in those things. And we walk away from that truth Loved, more loved than you can possibly imagine, more forgiven than you'll ever really truly probably know in this life. And we and we sit here and we hear this truth of Galatians, for freedom you've set been set free. And then we turn from here and we go tomorrow morning and our alarm goes off. And you know it's time to get into your Bible. Sorry. Hmm? Try again. I will. That's what happens when I get up early to read my Bible. I have to try again because uh, I hit the snooze too many times. And when we're not careful, all of a sudden our motivation for even getting up early and opening God's Word is not that I'm going to go have time with the Lord and I trust that He's going to speak to me and I'm His Son and He's my God. Praise the Lord. But that I'm a Christian and it's what I'm supposed to do. I'm, so, I'm a pastor for goodness sake. If you're a pastor you're not reading your Bible every day, what kind of hypocrite are you? That's not the motivation I want to get into God's Word. That's, that's not freedom. I think that's why this next word is here. Stand firm. We have to stand resolute in the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. We have to stand resolute in the reality of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. As blood-bought sinner states, we're standing firm because it's for freedom you've been set free. You weren't set free so that this would become a yoke and a burden and that you're still trying to just make God happy or make God happy. You're set free for freedom. To have your whole life defined by who He is and what He's done to change you, to take the shackles off, to take the yoke off, and to live in that freedom. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. His response who, who, to these Judaizers saying, well, you have to keep the law, and you have to keep kosher, and you have to, as we'll see, circumcision, you have to do these different things. His response isn't, no, 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 no. What you really have to do is you really have to do this, and you really have to do that, and you really have to do this. He beats the drum and says, no. No. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that's made us free, and we're free for that freedom. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. What he explicitly has in mind here are external things that we do, specifically uh, in this case, the law, and we'll talk about that in greater depth. Uh, but I think also, also from the context of the book, we could also say slavery of sin. Sin works righteousness. They're, they're, two, um, they're two sides of the same coin. 
They're two sides of the same coin of sin. The right things I do for the wrong reasons and the wrong things I just do. Okay? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, and I think when Paul says circumcision, he has everything in mind, kosher and circumcision, all these different things that are pronounced by the Old Testament law. Christ will be of no advantage to you. No advantage to me? That's a strong word, Paul. He's got some really strong words in Galatians, but no is a pretty strong one here. So you mean I can't sort of, I can't be half-hearted with this works righteousness thing? Like, like maybe, maybe my job is to, to love Jesus and to say I'm a Christian, but then also try really hard just in case. Just in case. No. No, it's one or the other, and we'll, we'll explain that in a while, in a second here. Okay. So just tr- follow with me. Follow his argument. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. This one's important, Seattle. I have had friends, and I've had this debate with them, and I love them, and we've talked about it. So you can't just, like, keep kosher because it's cool. I don't eat bacon, and perhaps you've experienced this. You know, I was reading my Bible, and I just think, I, I think that I shouldn't eat bacon because bacon comes from pork, and the Old Testament says not to eat pork. Well, if you want to live under the law, you have to live under the whole law. And the whole law is very, 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 very extensive. Right? And so we have to be careful, and we'll say this, this is, this is what we call Interpretation. This is what we call hermeneutics. We're, we have to understand what we're interpreting and where we're interpreting it. So track with me and we'll, we'll land this plane. Uh, you kind of have to, to get a sense of what he's saying and we'll, we'll get there, okay? You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of the righteousness for um, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. You grew up in the church your whole life. I have a friend. He's from the great state of Kansas. The nicest human being I've ever met. Became a Christian when he was like three. Right? Doesn't cuss. Doesn't nothing. Ever. Even if something really, 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 really heavy falls on his foot. It's not in him. He's a sinner just like everybody else. Right? Was his whole life faithful to the Lord. Just, just, an, just the example of faithfulness and gentleness and kindness and love. And also a sinner who confesses that he's a sinner, but because he's a Christian, he believes the gospel. But he takes someone like the thief on the cross who lives his whole life in just open, brutal rebellion and meets Jesus on the cross and can't get down from the cross and uh, do all the right things all of a sudden and can't, can't do anything but just perish. Lives. It's not the one life lived in total faithfulness and then the one last moment of faith. It's not like, well, guy from Kansas just gets in and guy on the cross, we'll see what happens when he gets to the throne. They're both in. It doesn't count. It's not the external things that we do. We have a problem. 
And Luther really does a good job of showing us this problem. We have a problem. We walk our life with a ditch on either side. On one side, we have the ditch of what we'll call legalism. To be a Christian is to do right things, and to do those right things is why God loves us. On the other ditch, side of the ditch, we have, I wanted to use an L word like licentious, but for our purposes, we'll say wiling out. Sin. So we think, oh, I've been set free from freedom, and so I'm not stuck in legalism, and so then my response is then I act like the world. You're set free for freedom. You weren't set free to act like the world. You were set free to love Jesus and respond to Jesus and do Jesus stuff. Uh, on one side, we sort of have this like Ned Flanders type of caricature uh, where uh, to be a Christian really means you only listen to a particular kind of music and you dress a particular kind of way and you do particular kind of stuff. And our response, and I think in many times to that caricature, is that we go to the other side of the ditch and while out. We need to catch that in Christ, you are free. Free. So while you don't have to like I won't say it because he's not here, but uh, yeah, I'll stop there. I won't do it. Joe's not here, so I won't talk about his German background. German, not German background. German, now I'm losing it. They're almost Amish. I'll just say that. And what they did, though, I will say, it's okay. What they did was they take the, you could get a new car, and you could get a plate that you put over the radio on your car. So that when you sell your car, you can take the plate off, and it's still got a radio, because nobody wants to buy a car without a radio. But they were so fundamentalistic and legalistic that they actually put a plate over the radio because no music was good enough to listen to in the car. Okay? None. Like, Christian music was too crazy because it had drum kits and stuff. Don't do it. It's got drums. Right? Now, our response, I think, unfortunately, to that and that movement has to act, to, to just act like the world. So your mom didn't let you listen to the radio, and so now you listen to more than the radio. Right? It's a response. In Christ, you need to see that the freedom is to not go into either ditch. Not only am I free to not be stuck in legalism and legalistic rules and not stuck knowing that God, that I must do things to make God happy. I'm free from that, but I'm also free to turn off the radio when it's saying things that dishonor the Lord. Right, I don't walk in those things. I don't walk differently than the world because of legalism. I walk differently than the world because I'm trying to walk close to Jesus. And it's freedom. I don't act like my non-Christian friends act, not so that God will love me, but because God does love me. Does that make sense? It's freedom. It's freedom to not do the things that dishonor the Lord. You're not doing those things so that he will love you. You're doing those things because you're a love-forgiven person, and they don't honor the Lord, and you love the Lord. Well, but you know, this song, it's got this really catchy tune. I know it says horrible things about Jesus, but it's got this really catchy tune. Can, can you imagine? And I, Have you heard that one? I've heard that one a bunch. I know this doesn't honor the Lord in any way, shape, or form, but it's, it's musically just really awesome. I don't know how a husband would react to a wife or a wife would react to a husband if a spouse said, I know, I know this song really dishonors you in every way, and the person in the song is basically making fun of you, but the tune is just so catchy. 
I'm just going to listen to it. Do you see the thing there that we do there? We treat like God like an object, like he's a big boy and can handle it. So I'll listen to the thing that totally dishonors the Lord in every way, shape, and form. But because my spouse is a real person, I won't. It's freedom not only to know that you're loved by God, but also to not walk in that. Uh, go with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. This is Deuteronomy 27. So again, if we take the old... So this is where we're at. Here's history. God made everything good. Human beings broke it. God called the people in Abraham. He made Abraham a promise that he was going to bless the nations through Abraham. And we're told in Galatians elsewhere that that blessing comes through a seed who is Jesus Christ. And he's going to bless everybody through Abraham. Between Abraham and Jesus, in the time of Moses, we have this thing called the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant was, by God's grace and mercy, a way that God, and always remember this, right? He, God doesn't meet the people, uh, God's people in Egypt and say, if you do what I say, then I'll get you guys out of here. He busts them out of slavery in Egypt and says, I will be your God and you will be my people and this is what it looks like to walk in my ways. And of course their response is, of course we'll always do that forever and ever. Yay! And then Moses disappears for a few days and they build a golden calf and it goes really poorly for everybody. Right? They celebrate for a minute and then not so much. Now, now God gives them this thing called the Torah, the law. And in it, are how they live and look and how their life reflects who they are to the nations. It sets them apart and says, look, this people belongs to God from all these things they're doing. But even then, Moses says, but there's a time coming when the circumcision, the expression of these things won't be external, it'll be internal. He's already pointing to Jesus in the Pentateuch, in the, pardon me, in the first five books of the, of the Bible. The first five books, they're called five books, Pentateuch's five in Greek. No, it's not five in Greek, but that's what it is. Dot, 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 I will keep going now. First five books, they go together. They're called the Pentateuch. Jesus Christ comes and fulfills that law. So all the things that say, for example, that you shouldn't have a, a sweater that's made of two kinds of fabric, fulfilled. Don't worry about it. If you're reading your Bible and you're like, poly cotton blend, I am going to need a whole new wardrobe. At least I would, because all my teachers are cheap t-shirts that are made out of polyester and cotton, right? I'm going to need a whole new wardrobe. I need cotton pants to go with my cotton. What am I going to do? I live in Seattle. It rains. I'm going to get pneumonia. I'm going to have to wear all wool, all wool all the time. I'm going to be itchy, but at least I will not have pneumonia, and I'll do what the Bible says. Except for Jesus came and fulfilled that. It's fulfilled. We live now under the law of Christ. Whatever was not restated in the Bible about those things is what we follow. You'll find, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. These are all in the New Testament. Whatever's not restated from the old thing, we do now. This is why Peter has this great moment in the book of Acts, and God tells him, Peter, gives him the vision, and he shows him barbecue of all kinds of different animals. It's not barbecue, just animals, but in my mind, it's like barbecue, right? He shows him all these different animals. And Peter says to God, as Peter rolls like this, Peter says to God, but God, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to do it. And God reminds Peter who's God and says, I'll tell you what's clean and not clean. Rise, Peter, 
one of my favorite lines in the New Testament, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Peter argues with him. He's having a vision with God, and he's arguing with God in the vision about eating. It's because it changed. Everything changed in Jesus. You have to know absolutely everything changed in Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament is leading up to Jesus, but everything changed. Now, the reason Paul's going to say this, for all who rely on the works of law are under the curse. Something's happened. There's been a fundamental shift in reality in the way that God relates to his people. So we've got the Torah, and specifically I mean here the stuff, the doing stuff of the Torah, and we have the promises. And when you read the Old Testament, you pick up on these amazing, amazing promises. God promises he's going to send someone right there in Genesis 3 to fix everything. But he doesn't just do that. He promises in Joel that he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And if you are an Old Testament saint, he says the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to indwell all of God's people. If you're an Old Testament saint and you know your Bible, you know that God's presence is manifest in space and time, in particular times, in particular places. You know that the word... uh, on is used a lot. The Holy Spirit comes on people. Came on the guy who built the tabernacle. Came on Saul. Came on David. But he comes and he goes and he's there and he leaves. But God promises there's a time coming when God's going to take up that kind of space-time residence in a people. His people. And it's coming. And, and Jeremiah 31, 31 says that he's going to write that. He's going to have a Torah that he writes on our hearts that everything's going to change in this Christ event, and everything did change, and so the stuff, the doing stuff is fulfilled in Christ with everything restated that we need to be doing and obeying in the, Old Testament, or in the New Testament. And then the promises, that this Jesus, Messiah, one is going to come and going to change absolutely everything. And so what the Judaizers are doing is they're saying, well, yeah, we have these promises that are fulfilled in Jesus, but we really like this tradition stuff. So while this Jesus stuff, cross stuff, forgiveness of sin stuff, that's all nice. I think we're going to do the tradition stuff. Or maybe we can do both, even though Paul's saying here you can't do both. And when they do this, they say, I'm going to do these things, and these are going to be the ways that I know that I make God happy, because that's what he said in the Old Testament. And what Paul's saying, no, that's done by faith now, and everything's changed. And here's the big catch and why he can say this. God in his love and his grace and his mercy called his people to be holy. You are to be holy as I am to be holy. But in his love and his grace and mercy also know we'd fall short of that. So in the Old Testament, what does he have? He's got this thing called a sacrificial system. So you screw up, you don't do the things in the Torah, you can go and you can deal with your business at the temple and you can offer sacrifice for your sins and you're made right with God. The last sacrifice, the promised coming sacrifice came. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who paid not the price just for individual sins that we can itemize, but for all our sins in totality. So that means that if a person wants to live under the law, there's no system to deal with failing to keep the law. This is why Paul's after this. This is weird for us because we're Christians who live in 2016 and we don't always have the context for us. Because they're saying, I'm going to keep the law, he's saying, okay, well, you have to then absolutely keep all of it because there's no system to deal with your sin when you screw up and don't actually keep all of it. As Christians, we know we're, our, our sins are covered by Jesus Christ. We have confession. We have repentance. But specifically, we have the forgiveness of sins through the cross. What he's saying is, if you want to go that way, you've got to keep all of it. And even God built a system for when you don't keep it. The system's gone because Jesus Christ came as this last sacrifice. 
which means if we're going to get after justifying ourselves to God, if we're going to go after getting right with God on our own terms, we have to do it exclusively on our own terms, and we can never, ever, ever, ever get there. That's what it means. If you want to do the spiritual push-ups, if you want to try and be a good person all the time, inside, outside, thought, you'll never get there. And that's good news for you to know that. You will never get there. That's why Jesus had to come get us. And so what Paul is saying is you are giving up on Jesus who came to get us to try and get yourself there. You're trying to justify yourself to get there. Here in 10, for all who rely on the works of the law under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He knows it will not happen. There is no sacrifice for them. There's no way out. There's no forgiveness of sins uh, apart from Christ. And so he knows that they're stuck. And now he's going to say this. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, quoting Habakkuk. The law will not make you right with God. You cannot perform your way to right with God. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. In faith, I know that my sins are forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. My non-faith move is to try and earn my, my place with God and God's love. Christ redeemed us from the curse. Oh, man. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, from all the right things we're supposed to do by becoming a curse for us. So all the things I'm supposed to do, all the ways that I'm supposed to act, what it looks like for me to actually be holy, Jesus came and took on the cross. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham, that promise I mentioned earlier, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We're not living by our actions. We're living by faith and by the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, God, among us. We're living in all of those promises. So they say, here's the promises. The Spirit's going to come and empower us to live for Jesus. The Messiah's going to come. He's going to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. They say, that's nice. I'm just going to try it on my own. And Paul's just trying to tell them, that's, that's nonsense. It's nonsense. When we do this ourselves, when we feel like, well, I have to read my Bible because that's what I'm supposed to do, or I have to do these things because this is what I'm supposed to do, we're actually trading the freedom of the cross of Jesus Christ for the I'm supposed to do. Now, our problem in 2016 is often we say things like, well, uh, if, I, if I read my Bible under compulsion, that's not what Jesus has freed me to do, so I'm just not going to read my Bible. That's nonsense. Right? That's, that's not actually how it works. It's not actually taking the things that God's given us, the gifts, the means of grace, and the promises He's given us, and the life He's given us, and saying, well, I can't do it in a non-legalistic way, so I'm not going to do it at all. Have you heard this? Maybe you've done this. I'm not going to do it because I, I don't think I can do it with the right heart. There may be times and places where that's acceptable for certain reasons and certain things, but prayer and Bible, probably not one of them. We, we adjust our hearts and remember, man, God gave me this to do with freedom. And so we stop and we take that moment where we realize what we're doing and we say, man, I am being a Pharisee. It's lame to be a Pharisee. I, I don't want to be a Pharisee. So maybe instead of being a Pharisee, maybe I need to open the Word of God and have the truth wash over me and remember me, why, remind myself why I'm even opening the Bible, how I'm even opening the Bible, because the Spirit has set me free to live in the freedom of God. That I'm not doing it by works, but by the power of the Spirit. I think one of the most powerful verses that Paul has for us in all of Galatians 
is this great question he asked them in chapter 3, verse 3. Having begun by the Spirit. What does he mean by that? Because you got saved because you're smart. Because you got saved because you looked at the Bible and you said this is the rational, logical outcome of reality is that God would send a Messiah to come and save me from my sins. No, you didn't. You got saved. God reached down His hand for you. So do you think that if God, in His grace and mercy, pulled you out of the fire by His hand and gave you the Spirit so you could understand the Gospel and the truth and read the Bible, that He's then just going to leave you alone? He's not going to help you. He's not going to walk with you. He's not going to move in your life because that's not what the Bible says at all. So did you who began by the Spirit, are, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So maybe Jesus saved you, but now you're going to behave your way into the kingdom of God. No. He saves you. He redeems you. He makes you His own. And then He empowers you to run the race after Him for the rest of your life to Him. And we forget this so unbelievably quickly. Freedom, then, is not wiling out. And it's, it's not the freedom blast the Wu-Tang Clan and the uh, unedited, non-parental version. That's not freedom. Just because your mom wouldn't let you listen to Wu-Tang Clan doesn't mean at 35 you need to. And everyone says, who are the Wu-Tang Clan? Does anyone remember the Wu-Tang Clan? I do very well. But you can, you can, whatever, love and spoonful, I don't care. Stick your thing in there that your mom wouldn't let you listen to because she thought it was ungodly. Or maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home like me. My mom just didn't like it. She didn't like it. She didn't trust it. What is this stuff you're listening to? I digress. Freedom is not the freedom of while out. Freedom is the freedom to live as the person God's actually made you to be. Freedom is, is the freedom to actually live for Jesus every second of every day of your whole life empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're, you're freed to live to the praise of the Father, freed by the Son and empowered by His Holy Spirit. And so all of a sudden, uh, we have to realize that like, one of the strongholds of legalism in Christianity, in the church, is stuff like devotional time. It is the strong, you have to do it, it has to be done this way, it has to be done this way, it has to be done early in the morning. You have to get up and you have to read your Bible early. It's got to be early, it's got to be painful. Uh, make sure you do it before work or else. And, and you have to pray when you do it, and you should read your Bible first, and you can pray afterwards, but you better read your Bible first. And hear people are like, where's the freedom? Where's the communion with the living God? But instead you realize, I'm free to have this life in Jesus, with Jesus, by His Spirit, through His Word, in His church. That What I'm after is Jesus, and He's actually given me means of grace. God's actually written this thing to you and to me. For His glory. For His glory. But this is the truth. And so we get after that. And I think, you know, there's also this sense... And I know that people feel like the sense of like compulsory uh, attendance at church type events, that, that's, that's legalism. But then we realize, but if I don't actually go to community group, I won't actually see the people in my community. And we've, I mean, it's always okay, right? I've been out of a lot of things. My kid's been sick. Other people have to cancel community group or this, that, or the other. Their kids, yeah, because it's not legalistic, right? 
Legalism is when you say, well, I know my kids got the chicken pox. We'll just quarantine them at the back end of the house and we'll still have some rice and beans. Everybody come on over. Sorry, buddy. That's legalism. There's freedom. You get to get together and sing or pray or eat, hang out, tell knock-knock jokes. I don't care. But we're free in there. And this is, I think, really why we need to strive as Christians to not have a, you must do this to be a Christian culture, but an invitational culture. Hey, we're going to have an Easter gathering tomorrow. Or not tomorrow. Don't come tomorrow. I won't be here. (laughs) Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the resurrection. I'll let you know a little secret. We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. But we're going to celebrate the, it's the resurrection party. We're going to celebrate the resurrection. What a joy. And yeah, I bet you know a lot of people who need to hear the gospel. You can invite them. Not because not anyone's going to keep score. Or so that we can really pack out the room. Really pack out the room. Because I know Jesus is risen from the dead. You want to come hear about it? Likewise, you're, you're invited into community and community groups. You want know community groups are awesome? Because a community group isn't community necessarily. But it's sure a great place to start making some friends with people at the church. And, and community group's not really community group until it goes out from there. Once people are like thinking about each other, praying for each other, taking care of each other outside of the hour and a half meeting. And honestly, when, people, when that happens, the hour and a half meeting turns awesome, by the way. And it's good to have a moment on your calendar, a little discipline to say, this is the one time a week I'm going to be with the church. And I do it with joy. And I put it on my calendar, not because I have to, because I get to. Community group's awesome. I love my community group. I haven't been able to be at community group for months and months and months. And they've been eating rice and beans without me for months and months and months. That's awesome. I'm so thankful for them. They've been praying for me and for my family when I haven't been there. And it's been awesome. We have an invitational culture because we believe our life is a free response to Jesus. Paul is after this freedom to respond to Jesus, freedom to be devoted to his word, freedom to worship Jesus, freedom to tell people about who he is, freedom to live in community, freedom to love and serve one another. That's what Galatians is about. It's freedom. Uh, I remember once I had a classmate at Seattle University who asked, so I'm weirded out you're a Christian, why? Why are you a Christian? Will you meet me and have coffee with me and tell me about it? Sure. Sure, I will. I'll get coffee. I will be, I will be the awesome evangelist. I will be Hank Hanegraaff on cappuccinos. This will be my day, and it will be awesome. And this person keeps asking me questions. I'm just failing miserably. I've been a Christian for like three months. My answers were probably, in hindsight, at least... I mean, you don't want to use the word heretical to, to ascribe to a brand new baby Christian's answers, but they were wrong. Okay. And I was failing so much to the point that when they found out that I was a Buddhist, they asked for recommendations about Buddhist books that I had read before I became a Christian. Yeah, let me give you a list of books that I should give you to read to not be a Christian. And I didn't, but I almost did because I was failing so miserably. This classmate looks at me and says, you know, Christianity seems so constrictive and it seems... It's just such a weight, and like there's all these rules. And one moment of clarity, I said, well, the thing about it is, this is what makes me free. That's because the Holy Spirit moved and something happened where I said, this makes me free. It really, 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 really confused them, and it was the only good thing I said the whole time. 
we are so quick to impose legalism on ourselves or even live in reaction to legalism. And we're actually free not to have legalism imposed upon us. We're free to live holy, righteous, God-glorifying lives that when someone sees our life, it, it just reflects the reality that we've been set free for holiness and for Jesus and for love and for worship. And so we're freed from legalism, but we're also freed from licentiousness. We're freed from wiling out, and, and we're freed from rebelling against the other thing. We're free on both sides. And I think this is what's really difficult for us to understand. It's just as messed up to rebel against legalism, to try not to be legalistic, as it is to be legalistic. We need to be free in the gospel of Jesus Christ as people who love him and love each other. Let's pray. Lord, freedom is tricky. <laughs> You're mighty God to save. Help us, Jesus, to live as the people you've actually called us to be. Help us to live in the freedom of the gospel, free from sin and free from legalism. Help us to live lives at their fullest for your glory. Because we're most full when we're most glorifying you, when you are the thing we're after. Help, help us to be after you with everything we have. Jesus, help us to live in the truth of Galatians that it's for freedom that you've set us free. Don't allow us to be people who allow other people to put yokes of slavery upon us, but also help us to live in that freedom as a community to live you, love you and live for you with everything we've got. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ.